Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash radio to sign up now. In the wake of a violent riot that ended in actually taking over the U.S. Capitol, leaving at least five dead, including one Capitol Police officer, cries for removing the president as expediently as possible are coming from both sides of the aisle. But this isn't an episode of the West Wing. This is actually real life. Can the 25th Amendment actually be invoked to remove President Trump from office? Is that a legal possibility? Hey, Legal Eagles, it's time to think like a constitutional scholar because we are through the looking glass, people. We are in uncharted territory because people are furious with President Trump, not just for potentially inciting the violent mob that eventually took over the Capitol, but also with his lack of a response after the fact, his inability to calm the crowd and basically seeming like he was AWOL. People are suggesting that the president is now incapable of discharging his duties. So. What do we do in that situation? Well, a lot of people have pointed to the 25th Amendment, which was created to have a backup plan in case the president was incapacitated or otherwise incapable of performing their duties. Now, the US Constitution's original plan for what happens in the event of a presidential disability or inability to work was simply for the vice president to take over, but that was pretty vague. It seems simple enough, but Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6 of the Constitution doesn't exactly explain how to decide when a president is considered disabled or unable to perform the duties of the office. So in 1967, Congress passed the 25th Amendment, which was intended to provide clarity in these really dire situations. And if you've ever seen the West Wing, you've probably seen a couple of these 25th Amendment scenarios play out. But this is real life. And the real 25th Amendment uh, has several sections. The first is section three, which is a part of the 25th Amendment that has actually been invoked several times. Section three of the 25th Amendment provides that the president has the authority to declare him or herself unable to discharge the powers of the office. If the president makes this declaration, it officially transfers authority of the office to the vice president, who exercises it as acting president until the actual president reclaims their authority by declaring that the disability has ended. So why in the world would a president ever willingly give up power to the vice president? Well, it's generally in times of uh, medical emergencies or uh, sometimes even uh, routine medical procedures. So for example, this could apply if the president was having surgery and knew that he or she was going to go under the knife and was going to be incapacitated for that time. The key aspect of section three is that the president has discretion over when it applies and when it ends. And this has happened before. Ronald Reagan sent a letter suggesting that he was invoking section three of the 25th amendment when he underwent surgery for a polyp. George H.W. Bush was acting president for about eight hours while uh, President Reagan was in surgery. And after that, President Reagan took back his power as the actual president. 
Similarly, when George W. Bush was president, he formally invoked section three of the 25th amendment twice when he was anesthetized for routine medical procedures. Each time the vice president, Dick Cheney, took over on both occasions. And then uh, when the president felt better, uh, was declared fit for office and retook their power as the president of the United States. And believe it or not, took the power away from vice president Dick Cheney. But while this is an interesting history lesson, this is obviously not the scenario that people are talking about in January, 2021. What people are talking about in the context of basically forcibly removing the president from power refers to section four of the 25th amendment. And section four of the 25th amendment is far more complicated and contested than section three. Following the siege of the Capitol, there have been lots of calls for invoking the 25th Amendment and removing President Trump from power and installing Vice President Pence as the acting president. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has called for it. Chuck Schumer, the minority Senate leader, though uh, soon to be majority leader. Former Chief of Staff John Kelly has called for President Trump's removal via the 25th Amendment. And even Mick Mulvaney, who just resigned his post and was the former director of OMB, former director of the CFPB, and the former White House Chief of Staff, has suggested that the 25th Amendment should be in play. And all of them are referring to Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. So there is a process for removing a president from power who is either unwilling or unable to uh, transfer power themselves. It's actually never happened. The section four of the 25th amendment has never been invoked. And obviously it's highly political. Now, what most people think about when they think of the 25th amendment is a president who is suddenly taken ill, maybe was in a car crash and is put on a ventilator or has to go into emergency surgery for, I don't know, a heart condition or any of the million things that could actually befall an actual human president. And if they are in an emergency, if they're uh, under surgery, under general anesthetic or in a coma, then the 25th amendment could apply because the president wouldn't have the ability to make the determination uh, for themselves that they have to transfer power. At the same time, the authors of the amendment also wanted to cover scenarios where the president thinks that he or she is totally fine, but that the vice president and a majority of the cabinet think that the president is not actually fine. Remember that America is a country that was created in part because the colonists didn't want to be ruled by King George III, who was said to be suffering from madness. So if a president is unwilling to declare him or herself incapacitated, then the cabinet and the vice president may act. In these circumstances, the section authorizes the vice president and a majority of either the cabinet or any other body established by law acting jointly to declare the president to be disabled. In, for all intents and purposes, we're talking about the vice president and the members of the president's cabinet, of which there are 15 members. Specifically, section four of the 25th amendment provides that quote, whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the speaker of the house of representatives, their written declaration, that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Now, the key phrase here is the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. At the moment, President Trump is not in a coma. He's not incapacitated as most people would generally define that word. And this might be a little bit controversial, but I think most people would agree he's not suffering from something like dementia. So it could be an open question as to whether the president's 
indecision or inability to attempt to prevent the mob that took over the capital or to effectively run the country in the wake of this uh, this horrible tragedy, whether that qualifies as the sort of inability to discharge the powers and duties of the office that is contemplated by the 25th Amendment. Now, practically speaking, the 25th Amendment requires a majority of the cabinet officers agree with the vice president the president is unable to fulfill their duties. There are 15 cabinet positions, as we've talked about, so the vice president would need a concurrence of at least eight of the 15 cabinet members to activate a declaration of presidential disability. Now, let's put aside for the moment the fact that the Trump cabinet is currently full of acting cabinet members and uh, has lost a lot of the Senate confirmed cabinet members that I think the 25th Amendment originally uh, contemplates, but we'll get back to that. But uh, again, talking about the practicality of this for the moment, once a majority of the cabinet and the vice president notify the president pro tem and the speaker, the vice president immediately assumes the powers and duties of the office of acting president. But the drafters of the 25th Amendment were well aware that this opened up the possibility that the president was being removed solely for political reasons, like the country was just tired of him or the vice president was plotting a coup. So the amendment gives the president a way to get back in and reclaim their power from the vice president. The way that works is this, and it's a little bit complicated. Once the vice president invokes the presidential disability, the vice president becomes acting president. But the president then, the original president, at the time of their choice, can transmit a written message to the president pro tem uh, and the speaker that no disability exists and that the president should then resume uh, power of the presidency. But the thing is the president doesn't get that power back immediately. Once the president has made a declaration that they are objecting to the decision of the vice president and the cabinet, the vice president and the cabinet then have four days to respond. So this sets up a potential showdown because the vice president and the majority of the cabinet have four days to contest this finding, this objection by the president, if they think the president is still incapable of serving, of discharging the duties. So if in those four days, the vice president and the cabinet still believe the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office, then the decision goes to Congress. And at that point, if two thirds of both houses of Congress believe that the president is unable to discharge the duties of office, then the vice president continues as acting president until that disability is resolved or until the end of the term. But if the two thirds margin is not obtained or if Congress is in session at the time, but doesn't vote on the question within 21 days of receiving the declaration, then the president has to resume the powers and duties of the office. Similarly, if Congress is not in session at the time and assembles, but doesn't vote within 21 days, then the president resumes the powers and duties of the office. Like I said, this is complicated, but really practically speaking, the way it works is this. The vice president declares the president is disabled. So uh, at that point, uh, if the majority of the cabinet agrees, then the vice president immediately becomes acting president. At that point, the president can object. And let's say that the president objects immediately at the same time that the vice president takes power. Then the vice president and the cabinet have four days to decide if they agree. And if the vice president and cabinet still believe that the president is disabled, then the decision goes over to Congress who have to act within a maximum of 21 days, although they can obviously act sooner. Now, as I said, section four has never been activated since the amendment was ratified in 1967, but there were two events during Reagan's presidency where arguably it should have been invoked. 
On March 30th, 1981, President Reagan was shot and seriously wounded while leaving a speaking engagement in Washington. It was actually just down the street from where I live. President Reagan had emergency surgery and he was under anesthesia. His aides debated whether or not to invoke section four of the 25th amendment. They were all notified that a full recovery was expected and decided that no further action was needed. But when President Reagan was shot, Al Haig, the Secretary of State, made a huge mistake and told the press that he was in control while the president was in surgery. As of now, I am in control here in the White House, pending return of the vice president and in, in close touch with him. If something came up, I would check with him, of course. This was considered a, a huge mistake in faux pas and sort of demonstrated uh, constitutional ignorance by a high-ranking official because the secretary of state is not the person who takes over when the president is incapacitated. And while many people remember Al Haig's comment and the constitutional crisis that it almost created, fewer people are aware that section four of the 25th amendment was also in play during the waning days of Reagan's presidency because in the last days of the presidency, his mental status was also questioned by staff while he was in office. In 1987, former Senator Howard Baker, President Reagan's newly appointed chief of staff, reportedly received a memorandum from an aide that claimed that the president was inattentive and inept. The memorandum went on to urge Baker to consider the possibility that section four of the 25th amendment might be applied. Baker concluded that the president was attentive and alert. And on March 2nd, uh, after a meeting, he dismissed this report. Of course, we all know how this ended because five years after President Reagan left the presidency, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and rarely made public uh, appearances after that. But fast forward 35 years to today, and as much as we know about the 25th Amendment, there's actually a lot that we don't know as well. We don't know if the key phrase, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, applies in this particular situation with President Trump. If that was disputed, we don't know what the Supreme Court would say. It's entirely possible that if someone disputed this uh, application of the 25th Amendment, assuming that they even had standing, I suppose it would be a deposed President Trump who would be making the claim if they had standing. It's entirely possible that the Supreme Court would call this a political question and refuse to adjudicate it. And the really big known unknown is the fact that President Trump's cabinet is full of acting secretaries because he basically just stopped sending cabinet members to be confirmed by the Senate. At the moment, we have acting cabinet members in charge of the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, and of Homeland Security, as well as the Department of Transportation. Elaine Chao, uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, just resigned from the, being the head of the Department of Transportation. But as law professor Brian Colt, who is basically the foremost expert in the 25th Amendment explains, a lot of people assume that acting secretaries can't vote on the 25th Amendment, but at most it's unclear. There's a potential scholarly consensus that the acting secretaries can vote uh, based mainly on a 1965 House committee report. But again, it's unclear. And at most, if the acting cabinet members cannot vote, then that would lower the number of cabinet officials that would need to be in the majority to invoke the 25th Amendment. But we also don't know if this is a complete and total pipe dream. People on the left have been calling for invoking the 25th Amendment against President Trump basically as long as the president has been in the office. And reports say that Vice President Pence uh, has no interest in invoking the 25th Amendment, despite the fact that there are calls for him to invoke it from across the aisle. What we do know is that if the 25th Amendment was invoked, 
President Trump would no longer be president immediately, and he wouldn't be president for at least four days. Then an additional potential up to 21 days would also uh, prevent him from retaking the office, even if Congress refused to do anything. And at the time of this recording, there's only two weeks left in the president's term and invoking the 25th amendment could keep him out of office until the end of his term. And additionally, the 25th Amendment is not mutually exclusive to impeachment and removal, as others have called for as well. You can do both. And on the other hand, there might be a good reason to invoke the 25th Amendment because it works immediately, in part because it might be necessary to prevent a massive wave of pardons. Right now, Bloomberg reports that President Trump is considering a whole raft of people, including himself, Mark Meadows, Stephen Miller, John McEntee, Dan Scavino, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, Rudy Giuliani, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Albert Pirro, Lil Wayne, and Kodak Black. I'm gonna go out on a limb and opine that that would be a bad thing. But perhaps we're being too precious with the office of the presidency. The president is not a king ordained by God. Lots of democracies have votes of no confidence that allow the legislatures to kick out the top executive effectively whenever they want. And there's lots of good reasons why you might want to do that. And four years for a president to serve their term is a long time. It's a long, long time. But I leave that to you. Do you agree with my analysis? Leave your objections in the comments and check out this playlist over here with all of my other real law reviews, which talk about the crazy legal issues of the day because there are a lot of them. So click on this playlist and I'll see you in court. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.